Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, does approval of Johnson & Johnson's single-dose vaccine mean a faster rollout for everyone, particularly in smaller population centers like Northwest Ohio? Hancock Public Health Commissioner Kareem Baruti weighs in. Also this morning, speaking of health, when genetic testing was in its infancy, the idea of using DNA to learn a patient's likelihood to develop certain health conditions became a controversial ethical debate. Now that such testing has been commonplace for several years, what's the verdict? And the number of consumer complaints about credit reporting agencies nearly doubled in 2020. I'll tell you how to protect your good name while digging out from a pandemic-induced financial hardship. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Tuesday, March 2nd, 2021. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. WTOL 11 first alert forecast is calling for sunny skies today and a high of 40. Clear tonight, a low of 30. For seven years running now, Findlay has been ranked as the top micropolitan community in the country. Dan Schaefer, project specialist for Findlay-Hancock County Economic Development, says the Findlay formula continues to produce positive results. Bringing trustworthy partners to the table in the form of government, city and county, uh, our education partners, business, of course, and nonprofit. Um, once you have trust at the table, there's not a whole lot you can't do. He said in 2020, Finley had around $150 million in capital investment and 1,000 net new jobs. The city of Tiffin came in at number four on this latest list. And you can get more on the award and see that full list on our website. A semi-tractor caught on fire on the side of State Route 15, just south of Finley on Sunday. The driver was not injured, but the cab of the semi was destroyed. See video from the scene on our website. Governor Mike DeWine has announced the next phases of the state's COVID-19 vaccine distribution process. DeWine said that Phase 1C will include pregnant women, those with type 1 diabetes, law enforcement and corrections officers, child care service employees, and funeral service employees, among others at greatest risk of contracting the virus. DeWine also announced that Ohioans 60 to 64 years old will kick off what he called Phase 2 of the state's vaccine rollout. Daniel Barnett... ONN News. And the governor says Phase 1C and Phase 2 will both begin on Thursday. Meantime, a COVID-19 vaccination clinic for Hancock County school personnel was held at Finley High School over the weekend. Superintendent Troy Roth. We're looking at returning uh, end of March to a uh, five-day-a-week school uh, in-person learning uh, for the last nine weeks of the grading period, and this is a step in the right direction. He says around 70% of staff members in Findlay City Schools received the first dose of the vaccine at the clinic. See video of our conversation with Roth at the clinic on our website. Get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. I'm Matt Demchek with 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. If you are looking for a reason to celebrate today, there is always a reason to celebrate. It is International Rescue Cat Day. International Rescue Cat Day today. National Banana Cream Pie Day. National Sportsmanship Day. It is Old Stuff Day. <laughs> old Stuff. Hey, that's a, that's a day just for me. <laughs> Very old stuff. Uh, World Teen Mental Wellness Day. And it is Read Across America Day today. So, Reasons to celebrate. Yesterday, by the way... Uh, we mentioned it was uh, Peanut Butter Day. Was it National Peanut Butter Day? Is that what it was? Or there was, was there something else 
No, it was just National Peanut Butter Day. So in honor of that, I don't know if you saw this, big news, uh, Hershey's uh, took time out to honor National Peanut Butter Day by leaving out the chocolate in its peanut butter uh, cups, in its Reese's peanut butter cups. That's right. Move over, chocolate. It's time for peanut butter to shine. Uh, Hershey's say the entire cup, this is a, a new variety of Reese's cups, the entire cup made out of and filled with peanut butter. It is a new take on uh, what was released the past two years when it got an extra layer of peanut butter on top. This time, they've just eliminated the chocolate altogether, and the new candy will hit store shelves in April. They announced it yesterday for Peanut Butter Day. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups without the chocolate. That's just wrong. That's just wrong. I'm sorry, Hershey. It's just wrong. That is that is just not right. I mean, there. how can they be peanut butter cups if they don't have, have chocolate? You know, it's chocolate and peanut butter. And if you eliminate the chocolate, you just have a big glob of peanut butter there. I don't... I don't know. It's just wrong. It's just wrong. By the way, speaking of uh, peanut butter, I saw this kind of interesting. A new study commissioned by GIF polled 2,000 Americans and found that the preference between creamy and crunchy is right down the middle. 50% in their survey preferred crunchy, 50% preferred creamy. Right down the middle. So are you a crunchy peanut butter person or a creamy peanut butter person? Well, here's why it is important. 63% of those who prefer crunchy describe themselves as optimists compared to just 56% of those who prefer creamy peanut butter. So crunchy aficionados are more optimistic than are creamy. But other findings from the survey, creamy fans tend to be... That sounds... That just sounds wrong. Creamy fans. we got to find a, another way of putting that. <laughs> uh, creamy fans tend to be more introverted... And also early risers, while crunchy fans tend to be more extroverted night owls. Interestingly, a third of both groups, one third of both groups, say they love dogs and cats equally. So, don't have a preference on pets. Uh, creamy people, that's not any better than creamy fans. Creamy people, we that's wrong too. Anyway, creamy... <laughs> Creamy people uh, recalled being bullied more for their peanut butter preference as children than Crunchy fans did. Well, that's that's interesting and uh, and very sad. Don't don't pick on creamy people. I'm a I'm I we have creamy peanut butter uh, at home. I don't have any problem necessarily with Crunchy. It's just generally like creamy peanut butter. Uh, nearly half of all respondents said it would be a deal breaker to find out their date is on the opposite side of the creamy versus crunchy debate. Nearly half said it would be a deal breaker. I don't know that I would go that far, but important research there from the GIF people. So here is uh, some of the uh, big news of the day. Get ready for a wealth tax on the nation's richest Americans. 
Democratic Senator Elizabeth Warren, during her 2020 presidential campaign, touted a wealth tax on the uber-rich, and now she is introducing it as a new member of the Senate Finance Committee. She uh, put forward the legislation called the Ultra-Millionaire Tax Act yesterday. It would tax the wealthiest Americans on their net worth, imposing a 2% annual tax, annual tax, on households and trusts between 50 uh, between 50 million and 1 billion dollars as well as a 1% annual surtax on houses and trusts over what over 1 billion dollars so 2% tax on households and trusts and important to note that it includes trusts because that has typically been a way to a shelter uh, some of that wealth is put it into a trust, um, but that would not exclude one from this tax. Households and trusts between $50 million and $1 billion, 2% tax, and then an additional 1% surtax on households and trusts over a billion dollars. As she introduced the measure, she said things have gotten worse during the pandemic, saying we have watched the wealth of the billionaire class in America increase by more than a trillion dollars over the last year. Supporters portray it as a fair way, in their words, fair way to bring money in to pay for what will be needed to help Americans recover from the pandemic. Uh, If the measure were to pass the House, well, maybe so. Okay, even even if you give them that argument, even if you grant that argument, Uh, What about beyond that? This is not a temporary thing. This is an ongoing thing. If the measure were to pass the House, uh, it would face a tough time in the Senate, obviously. And uh, President Biden did not support a wealth tax while running for the presidency. So it is unclear if he would sign the bill, even if it were to pass. And I think that's a big if. But we mention it nonetheless. The latest political news. And how about this? Something to chew on. This will be a buzzworthy story on social media today. You know that people are going to be talking about this. I can just see my timeline getting flooded with this story. An Oregon judge has ruled that the Miss USA pageant can ban trans women. In a case brought by a transgender woman in the state of Oregon who wanted to compete in the pageant. The uh, judge ruled that it is legal for Miss USA to exclude transgender women. Anita Noel Green sued after she was told she could not compete for Miss USA because she wasn't a, quote, natural-born female, unquote. And uh, she sued, charging that that policy violated Oregon's Public Accommodations Act which says residents have the right to full and equal accommodations without discrimination. But District Judge Michael Mossman ruled that Miss USA is an expressive organization, not a commercial one, and so it has a First Amendment right to its message. Miss USA stated in its motion to dismiss Ms. Green's claims that its mission is geared toward what it called natural-born women and that allowing transgender women to compete would, quote, undermine its vision 
and affect its message of biological female empowerment. So, discuss amongst yourselves. You know that that's going to generate some buzz. It's kind of uh, interesting. Agree, disagree, you decide. Some of the uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Tuesday morning started. You can help recognize outstanding teachers in Findlay and Hancock County. Nominate a current teacher who made a difference in your life for the Findlay Rotary Club's Golden Apple Awards. Place your nomination online at findlayrotary.org. Nomination deadline is April 2nd. Please promote the work, dedication, and achievements of all teachers by nominating an excellent teacher for the Golden Apple Awards. This message provided by WFIN. So get into our cover story this morning. The big news over the weekend, Johnson & Johnson was given approval to distribute their single-dose vaccine, coronavirus vaccine, and uh, J&J says that it's going to be maybe those those first injections as early as today into arms. Does this mean a faster rollout for the uh, vaccine for everyone, particularly in smaller population centers like uh, here in Northwest Ohio? Hancock Public Health Commissioner Kareem Baroudi is with us this morning. Uh, Obviously, there are some advantages to the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, single-dose vaccine, uh, uh, number one. And number two, it doesn't uh, require the extreme... Uh, cold storage uh, requirements that the uh, uh, other vaccines uh, do. Does that make it uh, a little bit more conducive to uh, areas that maybe don't have those facilities to hold on to the Yes, Chris, good morning. Uh, I think we always said that we were waiting for the Johnson Johnson to roll out that one-dose vaccine Mm -hmm. that logistically a lot easier to handle, a lot easier to roll out in the communities, uh, especially in smaller places, you know, small pharmacies and stuff like that. So uh, we are getting some in town this week as well. Okay. About 300 doses we're getting at the health department uh, to administer as well. Uh, And does that... Uh, keep you on track or accelerate at all the 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 rollout i know uh, again statewide uh the uh, governor uh said we're moving into the phase that would allow uh everyone what i think 60 and and up to register are we at that point yet here locally um almost there i think uh this is going to speed up things big time Mm -hmm. uh we you know a few weeks back i wasn't here and i was talking about five six hundred doses a week right uh last week we administered about two thousand doses this week is about to administer two thousand doses as well that's being scheduled clinics started yesterday and it's going to go all week um and uh, next week it's going to bring more so this is going to speed things up pretty well 2,000 doses may seem like a still a relatively small amount, but if you take it as a per, as a percentage of the population and then extrapolate that out, out, it's pretty consistent with the nationwide rollout. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it's about four, 14% of our population now mm-hmm. it's been vaccinated. Um, that's pretty on par with the, what the state average is, mm-hmm. uh, pretty on par, you know, par with, the, with the national average as well. Uh, things are going to speed up pretty well, and I think we're, we're ready for it. We've been waiting for that. Now, just to clarify, do you have any say in the matter as to what vaccine uh, you get? I mean, is there a process by which you, you say, hey, we, it would be better if we get the J&J vaccine over the others, or is it just you take what you get? I think you talked about logistics a little bit, and I think um, from a strategic standpoint of distributing the vaccine quick enough, 
um, we are uh, as health department and and as community we're looking at what it will make best um, to use of that vaccine the one dose um, you know congregate shelters uh, you know the the, uh, the prison population a- anything that you, you it will be hard logistically to go back in three uh, four weeks mm. um, and or people to come back to you in three four weeks uh, we're going to administer the the vaccine um, at this at this point in, in time I don't think the the, con- the consumer the clients will have a say um, it's we're going to open up um, uh, we're going to open up the the actual clinics uh, and probably the clinic will say we're, we're giving via uh, Pfizer Moderna mm-hmm. uh, or um, or Johnson Johnson depending on what we get from the state but that and that is also a, a significant uh, topic because I know uh, with respect to the Johnson and Johnson vaccine it's not uh, based on this uh, newer technology this messenger RNA technology that some people are still uncomfortable with uh, it, largely due to maybe some misinformation that is out there but at the same time if people are more comfortable with a single dose uh, vaccine that is tried and true technology uh, unfortunately it doesn't uh, sound like the the end consumer is necessarily going to get much of a choice um at least in this initial phase okay. uh, i'm sure as more vaccine becomes available they will have a choice uh but um I, if if you want my advice if you get a ch- you know any of the vaccines they're all effective um very effective actually even the the johnson johnson with the efficacy a little bit less than the other two um but it will it will prevent you know a serious illness from them yeah uh and and that again echoing the uh, advice of all of the uh, health experts all the way up the line to the uh, CDC and and uh, Dr. Fauci uh, talking about hey get what you whichever get one you're you offered get get, get whatever you're offered uh, at this point and how does this uh, again this is something that we kind of talked about a couple of weeks ago when we were talking uh, about the possibility of uh, this vaccine being added to the mix um is this a game changer? I mean, you heard in the news uh, earlier this morning, and uh, they uh, held a clinic uh, for the Finley City Schools. They want to reopen for five days a week by the end of this month. Uh, is that advisable? Uh, yes, I think we learned a lot from this virus. You know, the last year uh, we learned how to kind of uh, uh, you know take the proper safety precautions, keep them in place. Uh, I think the schools done you know beautiful job uh, during the first initial phases of the pandemic and and masking and and keeping a distance and mm-hmm. and the hybrid models. Um, I think they've done a lot. They've learned a lot. Um, and it's, it is possible, absolutely. What about uh, other types of, of gatherings? I know the CDC has uh, said we have to be very careful about lifting these restrictions. Uh, we're coming up next week. We'll mark one year since all of this started. Everybody is very weary and uh, eager to get back to normal, especially uh, with this rollout of the vaccine. It seems as though the risk is lower, but we can't let our guard down what is your advice on other types of social gatherings my advice is to ease ourselves back into normal and that's how you know easing ourselves might take up to six months or more mm. we're talking you know uh, late summer here uh, we can probably go back to uh, doing some of those activities um, always with the safety precautions in place um, I think we uh, we learned uh, that mask is is, is, eff- uh, is effective uh, we learned that a little bit of distance is 
is effective, cleaning is a little effective, and, and curbing the virus. Um, so there's stuff we can do while we're waiting for the vaccine to be available to everybody. Uh, but those, uh, the vaccine coupled with the safety precautions, I think it's going to put us in a good place. Interesting you, you mentioned that uh, all of these individual things uh, that we've been told to do are, as you put it, a little bit effective when you put them all together is when you get your uh, maximum uh, effectiveness. Yeah. Uh, if uh, any time we're assessing a risk, I think it's layered. Um, again, uh, a double mask is better than one mask. Mm-hmm. Uh, one mask is better than nothing. A distance um, is better with the mask. Yeah. Um, you know, washing uh, hands, being being. Uh, put those safety measures as we layer those measures will be in a better place yeah the uh, best mitigation is all of these things uh put together now uh, talking about uh, the uh, vaccination clinics and and so on last week you announced that you will be acquiring uh very soon this uh mobile uh this mobile clinic this mobile vehicle that will allow you to uh take the clinics out to the community not just the vaccination clinics but other uh health initiatives as well Yes, I think the last few weeks and uh, with the availability of the vaccine, uh, the community is really lining up behind the idea or the concept of a mobile health clinic where um, we take uh, we take the vaccine, you know, initially, uh, then we take a lot of the prevention uh, services out in the community. Um, we want to make sure we reach out to where people live. Um, it's very important in tackling the social determinants of lives. It's not for people to come into the hospital or come into the health department to get the, the health services. We want to go and kind of talk to people about nutrition, about activities, a lot of health, uh, other yeah. health issues. Well, that's, that's what I was going to ask because, I mean, obviously the, uh, the first thing you think of with a, a mobile vaccination clinic with this, uh, with this vehicle that, that you have, and, and is this in-house now or is it coming? No, it, 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 it will be coming here soon, probably okay. um, in April sometime. Okay. Uh, we still have to, um, they still have to outfit the, the vehicle and stuff like that. We have to hire staff for it. Um, like I said, the, the most important part was the lining up of the, a lot of community partners behind the projects to make it happen. And and that was one of the, the questions, the funding for uh, all of this. Is it coming uh, out of your budget? Is it by donations? Uh, uh, most of it is donations. The Rotary Club was really the driving engine behind the mm-hmm. fundraising for um, for the project. Um, you know, the Community Foundation is uh, is, is a partner as well. Um, the the, uh, the county commissioners are partners. Um, the city uh, the city of Findlay is uh, city council is considering to be partners. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, that seed money to get the tool for public health to be able to reach out to all corners of our county, to all communities, to people who usually usually traditionally don't come to the health system mm-hmm. we want to go to them and, and and make sure they're healthy and that uh, getting back to the use uh, of this uh, obviously given where we are right now the immediate use would be for uh, vaccine clinics but what are some of the other things that you can envision using this for moving forward Mostly it's going to be for preventive medicine where, um, you know, that the nurse on board will go and do, um, uh, they will do screenings, blood pressure screenings, mm-hmm. uh, again, nutrition talks. Uh, we go, we're going to go to schools, festivals, community dinners, churches. Um, the sky's the limit, you know, what we can do with uh, kind of outreaching to the public. Uh, if we talk about population health, we have to be there. And uh, obviously anything to make for a healthier community is a a good thing. Uh, Just as a sidebar in all of this, uh, certainly your location now makes it a lot easier to uh, have this type of 
of a vehicle to be able to house it and and uh, operate uh, you know, where you are now versus some of your past locations. Absolutely right. Uh, again, uh, Hancock Public Health Commissioner Kareem Baroudi with us uh, this morning talking about the uh, latest uh, on the uh, vaccine rollout, the mobile health clinic, which will be coming later this spring. Kareem, thanks very much for dropping by. Thank we appreciate you, Chris. It. Well, if you're old enough to remember when genetic testing first became a thing, moving out of the realm of science fiction into the world of science reality, one of the questions was whether being able to peer into that crystal ball of your DNA to learn one's propensity toward developing certain diseases or conditions, would that be a net positive or a net negative? Well, now that such testing has been commonplace for a while now, what is the answer? Uh, Juliana Cintron is a genetic expert with 23andMe, uh, joining us this morning along with 23andMe customer Mark Lovacott. And uh, Mark, let me start with you. What made you decide to kind of go down this road to get the genetic test as part of your health journey, if you will? Yeah, for me, it started out with the ancestry portion. I, I wanted to know about my roots and where my family came from. And on a whim, I kind of decided it would be also interesting to learn about the health side of, of genetic testing. So I, I opted to do that. Um, you know, while I was going through this process, I had been in and out of the doctor's office for six to eight months, trying to figure out what was going on with some pretty severe stomach issues I was dealing with, headaches and fatigue. And, and doctors were really stumped. Um, one afternoon, I got my 23andMe results back, and I was looking through them, and I noticed that I had a genetic variant that was common for people with celiac disease. So I, of course, jumped online and, and, and looked up what celiac disease was and noticed that a lot of the symptoms were exactly the things that, that I was battling. Uh, took this information to my doctors, they did a bunch of tests, and, and lo and behold, they ended up diagnosing me with celiac disease, which meant I, I needed to change my diet, went to a gluten-free diet, um, feel better. Uh, who, who knows how long this would have taken yeah. to figure out if it wasn't for this genetic testing that I did. Yeah. Uh, Juliana, uh, Mark mentioned celiac disease. What are some of the yeah. other, what other uh, predispositions uh, in, in terms of health conditions, health ailments can be identified through genetic testing? Yeah, so through 23andMe, our health predisposition reports can tell you how your genetics can influence your health. Uh, reports like type 2 diabetes, kidney stones, high blood pressure. Uh, it's American Heart Month, so we also have some heart-related reports um, that are all powered by 23andMe research. If you're thinking of starting a family, you can find out if you're a carrier for certain genetic variants that you can pass on to your, uh, to your future children through our carrier status reports. Uh, we have wellness reports that can tell you how your genetics can relate to your lifestyle, um, so reports like lactose intolerance and caffeine consumption. Hmm. And then our trait reports can tell you how your DNA uh, can actually influence things like your physical traits, uh, so hair color, eye color, and even whether you prefer salty versus sweet foods. <laughs> now, again, as we said at the outset, when this technology was in its infancy, the questions were, how will this information be used? Who will have access? How much mm -hmm. can it really tell us? How much do we really want to know about our future health? Now that we are here, what are the answers? How does knowing the genetic information, uh, all of this uh, genetic information, empower people to make positive health choices? Yeah, so our company's mission is to help people not only access and understand, but also benefit from the human genome. Uh, and so you're already doing so much to take care of yourself. You're, you're tracking your steps. You're measuring sleep. 
um, people are eating healthier. So by adding this genetic data to the mix, you're getting personalized DNA insights uh, to just give you a more complete picture and make it easier for you to take action just like Mark did. Obviously, this is technology that is being continuously refined and improved. Are there still some of those are there still some of those same questions being asked as we learn more about what our DNA can tell us about the future? Definitely all the time. So our research platform actually allows 23andMe customers to opt in uh, to participate in research. Uh, it's completely optional, but if you opt in, you can answer research questions uh, that then our scientists can use to make genetic associations uh, based on genetic data. So, Mark, uh, obviously, in your case, uh, this has been a net benefit. I mean, no second, uh, no second guessing uh, about uh, the benefits uh, to your life from uh, having this uh, these tests uh, done and, and learning what you learned through your DNA. Absolutely, and for me, it, it was more curiosity than anything. I, you know, I, I like many others. You know, want to learn more about not only my ancestry, but about myself. And, and it, it's really interesting and neat to think about how your DNA can tell your story and your family's story. Um, I had no idea it would lead to this, where yeah. I, I would have a diagnosis that would you know, definitely improve my life, make me feel better, uh, make some positive health choices. No clue that would happen, uh, but I'm very thankful it did. Again, Juliana Centron is a genetic expert with 23andMe and 23andMe customer Mark Levicott with us this morning talking about the reality of DNA testing and how it impacts our health now and in the future. Fascinating stuff. Juliana, where do we get more information? Yeah, you can visit our website at 23andMe.com for more information. We'll link up to that on our webpage. Thank you both for taking the time this morning. We appreciate it. Thank yeah, you. thanks for having us. Agriculture news this morning. The current farm bill is not set to expire for another two years, uh, but already, but already, uh, starting to think. I mean, these things do take a while. Anybody in the agriculture industry knows that uh, these things take a while to sort themselves out, and uh, so even though two years away from a new farm bill, the time will soon begin to start crafting the next farm bill and ag industry groups are already lining up to lobby for their key priority items for 2023 what do they see as those key priorities usda contributor rod bain reports this morning it's that time again. We're halfway through the 2018 Farm Bill, and this is about the time we're starting to think about what we need to do with programs. And Tim Palmer and his respective organization, the National Association of Conservation Districts, are not the only ones who are and have been thinking about what should be included in a 2023 Farm Bill, now just two short years away. There's lots to consider, given how much things can change within the five-year period of any farm bill, let alone year-to-year, -year, such as the unpredictability of 2020. Pretty much like everything these days, you've got to start working on that next farm bill just about as soon as the president's signature is dry on the one just signed. That's Dale Moore of the American Farm Bureau Federation. While several 2018 Farm Bill programs have rolled out over the last three years, and more will between now and the life of the current legislation, lawmakers recently signaled that discussions about the 2023 Farm Bill will soon begin. 
Several commodity groups and trade organizations are already, or will soon begin, their own dialogue among membership on priorities in a new farm bill. Bill Gordon of the American Soybean Association reminds us, If you look at the 18 farm bill, there wasn't a lot of changes. So starting with the commodity title, where traditional farm safety net programs are located, some wonder about considerations to strengthen it after 2020 offered its share of dynamic events. The question posed by Rob LaRue of the National Farmers Union. Do our safety net programs really afford the kind of protection that farmers and ranchers need? The conservation title is expected to be a focal point of a new farm bill, including in the realm of promoting sustainable agriculture and doing so in ways that profit farm producers. Andy Levine of the American Sea Trade Association says he sees volunteer and working lands conservation programs continuing to grow in the 2023 Farm Bill. Through the practices of an interest in sustainability long term, both from the grower standpoint and from the consumer standpoint. Kevin Ross of the National Corn Growers Association acknowledges development of carbon markets could also find its way into a new farm bill, yet believes research into this potential economic opportunity must be conducted. I would look at a lot of those in pilot form if they're going to be there and hopefully see what may or may not work on the ground to make a real difference. The livestock industry benefited in the current farm bill from development of a foot and mouth disease vaccine bank and funding for such. Now with crafting of the 2023 Farm Bill approaching, Allison Rivera of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association says for cattle, pork, and lamb producers. The bank is still going to be kind of towards the top of that list. We're going to need to continue to fund this bank beyond 2023. Increased research and development programs and funding for agriculture within a new farm bill is not just important in addressing challenges. For Jim Baer of the U.S. Apple Association and other specialty crop growers and supporters whose crops do not fall into the category of program crops, it is crucial. We don't have the private research that's conducted in row crops, for example, where billions of dollars are spent for developing new varieties or other production tools. For us, it's nearly all university and USDA researchers, so we're really dependent on that. Dale Moore of the American Farm Bureau Federation says innovations like precision ag technologies and rural economic opportunities need a continued development and expansion of rural broadband within a new farm bill to foster advancement. Broadband is becoming increasingly important to broadband programs that help expand not only the coverage of broadband, but in those areas improve how much it can carry. As the nutrition title and its programs make up the largest part of any farm bill, Bill Gordon of the American Soybean Association says this area is as important to producers as it is to end users. How they've been able to take those programs and really dial them down again to the people that need food. And that's important to farmers, too, as part of that, the creation of food on our side, working with that part of that farm bill and understanding that is crucially important. And John Doggett of the National Corn Growers Association believes the most important part of the 2023 Farm Bill process is education. We're going to have to be able to articulate how farm programs benefit the American taxpayer, not just farmers. We have to show the efficacy and the need for resilient farm programs that keep agriculture in this country alive. I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. Of course, as we know, so much of the uh, farm bill uh, has to do with uh, programs such as uh, SNAP, the food stamp program, and, and other um, uh, social service uh, type programs. Uh, very little of it actually has to do directly with farming, with agriculture. But what 
parts there are are very important to the industry. And uh, it's, as Rob Bain was mentioning in his report, going to be very interesting uh, to see how what we've been through the past year of the pandemic impacts the discussion over uh, agriculture programs, farm bill programs moving forward over the next couple of years. The countdown is on to the uh, next farm bill in 2023. Always a long process. It's already getting started. It's kind of like kind of like the election cycle. You no sooner get done with one election and you're already campaigning for the next, so too with the farm bill. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's report on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. And, uh, you know, sometimes uh, it's the strangest of things that undo criminals. In Oklahoma, uh, police say that they busted a burglar thanks in part to the Cheeto dust on her teeth. <laughs> the Cheeto dust on a Sharon Carr was arrested for repeatedly, uh, reportedly breaking into a home in Tulsa. After officers responded to a 911 call, the homeowner identified Ms. Carr as the person who came in through an open window, leaving bottled water and an open bag of Cheetos in the home. This is what she left behind. Uh, bottled water and an open bag of Cheetos. Uh, police say Ms. Carr was found with the snack residue in her mouth, leading them to believe that she was definitely the guilty party. The woman is uh, now facing a charge of first-degree burglary. <laughs> Undone by the Cheetle in her mouth. Is that, that's what they call it. They call it Cheetle, the Cheetle dust. Cheeto dust. It doesn't say she's charged with burglary. It doesn't say what she took, only what she left behind. So uh, I don't know. But anyway, there you go. Um, just think about how much trouble an angry house cat could cause. And then imagine that on an airplane. A Sudanese airline passenger plane was carrying passengers bound for the capital of Qatar, or Qatar, uh, Doha. On Wednesday, when it had a mid-air emergency, the plane had been in the air for about a half hour when a cat entered the cabin and aggressively attacked the crew. Uh, all attempts to restrain the cat failed, and the pilot made the decision to turn the plane around and return to Sudan. Uh, it has since been revealed that the aircraft had spent the night stationed at a hangar uh, at the airport ahead of the flight, suggesting the cat sneaked aboard while the airplane was being cleaned and serviced and had likely fallen asleep. And then when they got in the air, the cat woke up and was scared and attacked the flight crew. I, that could have, I, I, we chuckle, but that could have uh, ended very, very badly. So thank goodness everything uh, ended up okay. But that's a crazy story. Certainly not something that you expect to, you know, uh, alter your flight plans. <laughs> Scared cat in the cabin. Elsewhere in the uh, broken news, uh, this in the UK, uh, where apparently th the authorities discovered an unexploded 2,200-pound German bomb um, and uh, from the Second World War. And this is not uncommon. All over Europe, they find... 
un, uh, unexploded ordnance uh, from all the way back in World War II. Obviously very unstable. So they uh, scheduled it for to be detonated on Saturday. Hundreds of people were evacuated so that officials could conduct the controlled explosion. <laughs> Uh, the uh, military and local law enforcement took extensive measures to mitigate the impact of the blast, including uh, laying sandbags and digging trenches. But uh, it was all for naught because it's 2,200 pounds. Windows were blown out and homes damaged uh, as they uh, blew up the uh, as they uh, detonated the device. Structural assessments being carried out today in hopes that families can return to their homes. They, they tried to take precautions, but apparently didn't take enough. Wow. Man, oh man. A couple of women, this is a crazy story, a couple of women working alongside each other at a Connecticut bar recently learned that they are actually sisters. Julia Tinetti, age 31, and Cassandra Madison, age 32, met about eight years ago while working at the Russian Lady Bar in New Haven, Connecticut. At some point... They learned that both of them had a t- tattoo of the flag of the Dominican Republic and were born and adopted from that country. Oh, well, that's a, quite a coincidence. They had an immediate connection, and soon enough, they became best of friends, inseparable. Julia said that she and Cassandra's co-workers would often comment on how much they actually looked like sisters. But when they compared their adoption papers, the documents didn't match up. However, based on timelines, their birth dates, and their resemblance... Julie and Cassandra said that they felt that there had to be some kind of connection. Julie said she was born in 1989 in the Dominican Republic and was adopted shortly after birth. Cassandra, born in the Dominican Republic in 1988 and was also adopted shortly after birth. Cassandra said that in 2018, her adopted mother gave her a DNA genetic testing kit for Christmas so that she could learn more about her background. She then encouraged Julie to do the same, and the results, lo and behold, showed that the two were sisters. With the same biological parents. They also discovered that their adoption papers were mixed up, which would have made their journey so much easier had someone filled them out properly. So that's why they never put two and two together before. How crazy is that? Man. And finally, in the broken news this morning, this is one way to help your, your baby eat. Rudy Willingham. Uh, was told by doctors that his eight-month-old daughter needed to take in more calories. She was actually underweight. So ahead of her next uh, pediatrician weigh-in, he decided to (laughs) construct her a milk bong. (laughs) You've seen these, right, at spring break, the uh, beer bongs? Uh, The logic being, Rudy's logic being, that uh, beer bongs help undergraduates gain weight. So he figured it would work for his baby, too. He created a a TikTok video of him feeding his baby Lily with his uh, adapted beer bong uh, bottle nipple attached to one end, of course. He uh, also noted that the bong is the smallest one he could find on Amazon and is strictly reserved for formula. That's the only thing that they use it for. But apparently it worked. (laughs) I don't know that it's pediatrician recommended, but it did work. There you go. If you want a funny video, you can look that up uh, online. The uh, milk bong. <laughs> uh, there you go. That is uh, today's broken news report. Uh, the odd and unusual lighter side of the news brought to you by Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. 
The COVID vaccines are making the rounds, and you may be wondering what it will be like post-pandemic. Maybe you like working from home. Will you still be able to do it? Will we still have to wear masks and stay distance? Will we be able to go into ball games or concerts or be able to visit a friend in the hospital? You have questions, and that's why we're committed to keeping you up to date with the latest information. It's here at 1330 WFIN, 95.5 FM, and at WFIN.com. Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news, the statistics that shape our lives. If you have a high school student, particularly a freshman, uh, freshman, sophomore, that maybe doesn't seem very motivated to do well in school, there is good news. Researchers at The Ohio State University have found that students' academic motivation changes, usually for the better, over time. Data shows that Increasing students' sense of belongingness in school was one key way of increasing academic motivation. In addition, they found that motivation was more complex than often assumed, with students holding multiple, times, uh, multiple types of motivation that drive their behavior. Researchers say the results suggest that schools should routinely assess students' motivation in order to identify students who are most at risk of underperforming or even dropping out. And then they suggest schools create personalized intervention programs that target students based on their motivational profile. The long and short of it is, according to this research, mom and dad, don't worry yet anyway about your students lackadaisical uh, approach to their schoolwork uh, if they are uh, younger as the more mature they become the more ser- serious they take their academic studies so some good news there some encouraging news what i'm interested uh, though and what the story doesn't say is at what point do you become concerned i mean if they're a freshman and maybe they're not uh, performing up to their ability, then maybe it's not such a big deal. When does it become a big deal? And the second part of the sophomore year, into the junior year? I don't know. Anyway, kind of interesting research from the Ohio State University. The number of consumer complaints about credit reporting agencies nearly doubled in 2020. A very real concern for millions of people trying to keep their financial house in order, uh, preserve their good credit as they try to dig out from pandemic-related financial issues. Credit management expert uh, Paul Oster is uh, president of the nationwide credit repair firm Better Qualified. And uh, Paul, you say there are a couple of of reasons why consumers are... Uh, complaining about or noticing uh, incorrect information on their credit reports of late. Yeah, so it, it seems obviously most consumers are, are more in tune to what's going on with their credit right now. The problem is that the credit bureaus have been simply unable to keep up with the increased volume of requests for corrections and disputes and investigations, mm-hmm. and that has lead to over a 50% increase in um, complaints. So there's a bit of a backlog in terms of getting new information because everything has been thrown for a loop with all of this. Uh, credit reporting agencies, like everybody else, struggling to keep up with this. But also, you say there's, uh, in some cases, the uh, lenders are not following the rules that have been set. 
Yeah, so a lot of the creditors offered forbearance and deferment deferment plans and said that they would not be reporting the negative information to the credit bureaus. We now know that exactly the opposite happened, and lots of these missed payments and increased balances have been reported to the credit bureaus, and that's had a direct result in lower credit scores for those consumers. So what recourse do consumers have if there is negative information on their credit report that really shouldn't be there? Well, the first thing is you have to know that the, that the information was reported incorrectly. So go to annualcreditreport.com, annualcreditreport.com. You can get a copy of your credit report for free. So this is not a report from like Credit Karma or Credit Sesame. You know, I, I hate to bash them, but the, the information just isn't reliable. So go to annualcreditreport.com. Look at your report, go over it with a fine-tooth comb, and look for red flags of identity theft. This is the perfect storm for these identity thieves. Identity theft has, has been on the increase also during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So if you see addresses that are not associated with your name or Social Security number, that's oftentimes the first uh, sign and red flag for identity theft. So get a real copy of a real credit report, go over it, And if you have information that does not belong there, you have to be very proactive at this time. Boy, I tell you. Reach out to the creditors. Yeah, I I can't even imagine uh, having to deal with credit uh, or uh, identity theft in addition to everything else that's going on right now. So obviously that's the first thing to look at. And then what if we notice that, uh, like you said, the uh, creditor where we have a forbearance either on our mortgage or uh, some other loan or, or debt that we have, uh, we've gotten a forbearance, we've followed all of those rules, and yet they're still being reported as uh, late payments. Maybe it's, so, maybe it's yeah. technically accurate, but uh, again, the rules say they're not supposed to report it that way. So I would start with the creditor. You're, you're much more likely to get a response and, and okay. timely uh, action dealing directly with the creditor. Again, the credit bureaus, you know, I, I don't particularly like the credit bureaus, but I understand they're under a tremendous amount of pressure right now. A lot of their offices all over the world, by the way, their customer service centers have been closed down or, or you know, um, lowered um, staff. So go to the creditor because the creditors don't want to be called on the carpet right now by the CFPB by reporting this stuff erroneously. They can have, you know, some serious consequences taken against them. So start with the creditor. If you don't get anywhere there, try the credit bureaus themselves. Or this is a time when I I tell people two things. If you've never had a financial planner, get one. Because, you know, coming out of this pandemic, it's going to be a a different landscape than we've ever seen before. And you might want to consider hiring a professional credit repair organization to help you get out of the mess. So going beyond that, as we mentioned, uh, there are an awful lot of people who have taken advantage of these uh, forbearances uh, on mortgages, uh, maybe on their credit card payments. Creditors have, to this point, been pretty understanding about the hardships that uh, Americans have been experiencing. But at some point, uh, those uh, forbearances or those good graces uh, are, are going to come to an end. What happens when it does come time to pay the piper? So I wouldn't wait until the day that you have to pay the piper. I would contact the creditor long before that and figure out what 
what they're going to do. Because unfortunately, a lot of times with a forbearance, all of the payments that you've skipped will now be due at the end of that period. Mm-hmm. You have to make sure that the um, lender is going to be willing to take those payments and put them on the back of the loan. Because if all of those payments come due right now, it's going to create an even bigger headache uh, for all of those consumers. But again, be very proactive. Try and get it to the first of the line. You can't wait until the end. You know, Don't get into a crisis mode. Um, the lender's they're trying to do the best they can. Uh, they're dealing with millions of these types of uh, situations. It's really time for us as consumers to be more proactive with our finances. Now, uh, the reason why all of this imp- is important should go without saying, but uh, obviously we want to make sure that we maintain a good credit standing, and that's going to probably be even more important as lenders tighten up their uh, their rules, just as so many people are struggling and may face the possibility of uh, getting dinged in their in their credit ratings because of uh, these financial struggles, the double whammy is lenders uh, probably going to take a, an extra close look at who they lend money to moving forward and what the what kind of credit scores they're going to require. Yeah, so that's already happening. Unfortunately, interest rates are creeping back up. And like you said, the credit restrictions are tightening as we speak. So be proactive. Stay, try and stay ahead of this the best you can um, because it, it will be harder and harder to, to borrow money. And you don't want to get into a situation where you get locked out. Look, right now people hear you know, the 0% financing on automobiles. They hear uh, 2% interest rates on on mortgages. Mm -hmm. That is only reserved for folks that are a 740 FICO score or above. And it's not easy to be a 740 with or without this pandemic. Mm -hmm. So again, get all your ducks in order. Look, if debt is your problem, focus on the debt. People are always amazed at how quickly they can get out of debt if they really focus on it and they have a plan in place. If, if late payments and credit history is your problem, there are uh, things out there right now like Self is a, is a big, big company right now that's offering these credit builder loans. You have to take advantage of that and you have to focus on getting out of debt and improving your credit and do it today don't wait until tomorrow that was actually going to be uh, my next question is it in your opinion a good time to make a significant financial move right now you mentioned uh low interest rates on mortgages uh car loans are uh are pretty low right now there are uh there are opportunities out there for those who qualify but is this the best time to make a big financial move I think it's a great time to make those kind of moves. If you're fortunate enough to be able to refinance, the only debt service you should be carrying right now is a mortgage. You get some great tax benefits associated with that, and the interest rates are at an all-time low. So take advantage of it if you can. If you have any other kind of debt, automobile, um, credit card debt, refinance your home, take the cash out, pay off all those other debts in one fail swoop, and then just focus on paying down your mortgage. And then, of course, uh, the key there, if you're going to consolidate debt, is don't go back into debt on those same credit cards and so on and so forth. We always say that with a grain of salt because, you know, if you take a zero balance transfer or something like that on a credit card, you have to be super disciplined. Yeah. So not to put the you know uh, increased balances back on the cards that you just paid off right 
Exactly, because uh, the last thing we did, and again, uh, given the uh, financial struggles that a lot of Americans find themselves in, uh, it it can be very tempting, but that's going to hurt you in the long run. So again, circling back to where we started with a number of consumer complaints about inaccurate information uh, on their credit report nearly doubling in 2020, you say the first thing that folks need to do is get their hands on that credit report and make sure that everything that is in it is accurate. Exactly. Go to annualcreditreport.com. You can't rely on any, uh, any of those other consumer websites to get your information. Go to annualcreditreport.com and get a copy of that report. Go over it with a fine-tooth comb and then you know, figure out what plan you have to take if there's incorrect information or, or whatever has to be accomplished at that point. But you don't know unless you know, so get a copy of a report as soon as possible. Absolutely. And to underscore what you were saying earlier, not just looking for uh, information that's being reported inaccurately on the debts that you do have, you're also looking for the warning signs of possibly an identity theft situation, which has also been a, a big problem been a big problem for as long as we can remember, but especially in the uh, past year. Again, uh, credit management expert Paul Oster is uh, president of the nationwide credit repair firm Better Qualified. We have it linked up at our webpage. Paul, thanks very much for the time. We appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me back on. Have a great day and stay safe. And that will put a wraps on our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics we talk about each day at our webpage. Go to goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow, even amidst the most economically challenging year in a century, Findlay Hancock County has once again been designated America's top micropolitan community for an unprecedented seventh year in a row. We already have a good start on 2021. We'll talk more about it until tomorrow morning. That is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. Catch you back here tomorrow. Oh, 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 oh,